Welcome into another News for Jags podcast. I'm Jamal St. Cyr alongside Justin Barney, and we'll get you ready for uh, this week's big matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. Jaguars coming off a bye week, and you know, Justin, I feel like this is the longest just winning feeling that I've ever seen around an NFL team. That one win two weeks ago now, uh, it's still lingering. And it feels like it's been forever since they've played. It feels like, I mean, it certainly had been for uh, forever since they'd won a game, but that bye week feeling of, you know, it's, it's kind of nice because you had that bye week, that winning feeling for, you know, probably two solid weeks around town. You could claim, hey, we're not bad. We're not bad. The, the Lions are still winless. The Dolphins are struggling. But darn it, the Jaguars got a win. win That's right. And and this week they have the opportunity to get their first winning streak since October 27th of 2019. It's been a long time since this team has won two games in a row. Keep in mind, that was just a two-game winning streak in 2019 that happened. So they could match that streak uh, if they beat a – Struggling and injury, yeah. uh, injury riddled Seattle team. So yeah. a very winnable game here. You know, as, as we kind of went through and marked wins and losses on the schedule at the beginning of the year, like everybody kind of does, uh, the Seahawks game was not one that I marked down as a no, win. Absolutely <laughs> not. But, you know, things have changed. As I, I read in uh, a story of yours on newsforjacks.com, that, you know, things have changed substantially. You know, you're starting Geno Smith now as, as a Seahawks team. The Seahawks defense has been, uh, you know, however how we say it, very porous. Um, so the chances, I think, now as opposed to when the schedule was released, for Jacksonville to really string something together and build on that momentum. You know, you had a great game against Cincinnati. You had a letdown against the Titans, but you came back strong and won that game on the road with the Dolphins. And you can just hope that that Dolphins win, like we talked about, springboards into something more and winning on the West Coast where Jacksonville has – been a perennial underachiever, just 3-13 and 13 in those West Coast games, uh, never won at Seattle. This would be a huge victory in, uh, in many regards for Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. You can't say they can't win on the road because they won in London, uh, which is about as weird of a, of a playing circumstance as there is in the NFL. But to win in Seattle on American soil in the Pacific Northwest where you really have not done well before. I mean, 3-13 and 13 all time, the only three wins at the Oakland Raiders. Um, would be pretty substantial for Trevor Lawrence and uh, Urban Meyer. Oh, it'd be huge. But before we dive into the game, I mean, just how much would it really matter for this team, for this franchise to have two wins in a row to really feel like they turned it on? I mean, uh, I don't know that you can really uh, almost even put it into words. I mean, you want to talk about momentum. You beat a a Dolphins team that, in, in, in all honesty, is bad. Uh, but the Seattle team isn't exactly much better. But two wins for a young team that was struggling, I mean, I think this could mean the world. All of a sudden, guys are feeling good in the locker room. Trevor Lawrence is looking good. The team's feeling closer. They like their odds. I mean, you know, some of those close games, all of a sudden when you're feeling good, maybe uh, start to fall your way. Yeah, and, you know, you've, you've got to be thankful of when you look at things, and I know comparing them because we just saw the Jaguars play them a couple weeks ago, but – I mean, Jacksonville could be in a situation like Miami where Oof. you're projected to have been a playoff team. You have a young quarterback on a rookie contract, all kinds of investments on the defensive side of the ball, and you come out and you're awful. The Miami Dolphins are terrible. They have regressed substantially. Arrow con- pointing down, I mean, the, the Deshaun Watson trade rumors. Jacksonville, I think, is a team on the incline. So things, that one win has changed so much around Jacksonville. I know it's only one win. 
it's not, you know, not anything historic, but I think Jacksonville's arrow is trending up, and a team like Miami, who had so many expectations going in this year, certainly trending down, and we've said it time and again, probably in the last three or four uh, News for Jags podcasts, that all it was going to take was one win and something to build off of. And can you imagine this town if they get two wins and win on the road in Seattle? Place is gonna the roof is gonna be blown off this place. I mean, all of a sudden now you've doubled the win total from a year ago. Uh, everybody's smelling like roses. You mentioned the trade rumors around Deshaun Watson. The NFL trade deadline is quickly approaching. I know uh, it's not quite the NBA trade deadline where guys are being sent all over the place, but in the Jaguars' case, they have 12 draft picks for next year's draft. You already have a young team. There's no way they should pick 12 rookies next year. You, uh, do you keep those picks and use them as fodder to maybe trade up and get guys you want, or? Or do you maybe get aggressive now? There are some teams that are ready to move on from players for one reason or another and maybe try and add a couple of veteran pieces uh, to your roster. Um, I think that's the thing, the topic of conversation for a lot of teams right now. Uh, we just saw the New Orleans Saints trade for veteran running back Mark Ingram from the Texans, a team that's basically punting on the year. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, another team that's going to be basically punting on the year, so they may be willing to get rid of a few pieces and, and, and give up something. Um, there have even been some people that think the Jaguars should be getting rid of veteran players. I don't think the Jaguars are going to be sellers right now, but uh, do you see them maybe making a play to try and get somebody uh, on the market? Yeah, I think maybe if it's a fringe guy. To me, if it's if it's a guy in that Dan Arnold kind of category, yeah. then they make a move on somebody like that. I don't think we're going to see any blockbuster trades. I don't think it's, you know, Stephon Gilmore going from the Patriots. I don't think we're going to see anything of that magnitude. Um, at all, I think Jacksonville is still a year or two away from being able to, you know, to go out and get those aggressive free agent moves. I think right now, if they do anything, it'll be um, maybe a, a guy that they buy low on, you know, former first round pick who's a bust. I've, I've read and, and seen a lot of the Nikhil Harry um, buzz about bringing him in um, just as a kind of a low cost guy. Um, low low risk kind of sense, but I think it would be a move like that where it's not a, you know, blow you out of the water with anything spectacular. Um, I could see it being like a Dan Arnold kind of transaction. I don't think they're they're at the point where they're going to take on it. You know, like the, the Zach Ertz thing, that would have been a perfect candidate to trade for him at a, a position of great need, uh, but he was due a lot of money in the last year of his contract, and I think you're going to see teams trying to uh, maybe jettison guys like that. I don't think Jacksonville is going to be a uh, is going to be a big buyer at the at the deadline at all. No, uh, the, the big thing for them and and players, if you're looking at guys that they could consider, anybody on a one year contract, go on ahead and and draw a stripe to them. This is a this is a rebuild. Anybody that could walk away in free agency. Uh, Anything that you send out for them if they decide to leave is basically wasted draft picks because the Jaguars aren't in compete now mode. So maybe a guy like a, a Denzel Mims who uh, was a draft pick a year ago for the Jets. He's now buried on the on the depth chart. He was picked by a previous regime. If the Jets are ready to move on from him, maybe Jacksonville sends them a pick and they're able to bring him in. He gives a little bit of juice to that wide receiver room. They see what they can get from him. Low-cost, multi-year contract. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Like, if you look at these guys, it has to be someone that you're going to at least – Kick at least, on for a year. Yeah, you yeah. got to at least get two years out of the guy. You can't just bring him in and say, oh, well, we're going to get him for the rest of this season. That does not help this team. No. They, they, that's a winner, winner, winner else kind of mindset. That's an Arizona right. Cardinals kind of move. The Cardinals, teams that are at least competing for the playoffs. The Jaguars aren't in playoffs now playoffs are bust mode so you can't do those kinds of deals so I mean when people are, are 
like Brandon Cooks probably wants out of Houston. That's not really going to be consideration. Allen Robinson doesn't make sense because he's on a one-year contract. So there, there are a lot of guys like that that teams are willing to move on from that just don't make sense. So the Jaguars would have to find like a real sweet spot for like a young guy, a ton of talent, cheap contract, multiple years, and a team that's ready to move on from him. It just doesn't happen often. But Urban Meyer did say the phone is buzzing. So, hey, maybe maybe there's something there. But it's probably teams calling to see, like, are there guys that the Jaguars are willing to move on from? Like, hey, how you guys feeling about Cam Robinson? Uh, would you be willing to trade him to us uh, kind of things? Caleb on Jason. I mean, yeah. guys who are – I just don't see them being – you know, and maybe they could send somebody out, maybe a Kayla Vaughn or somebody like that who they don't have that high of a regard for. But I don't see – we don't see that blockbuster trade in the NFL anymore. You remember years ago when um, the Denver Broncos swung a huge deal and, and uh, got champ, or, uh, Clinton Portis and, and the champ Bailey. You just don't see anything like that anymore. It's, no. it's going to be a guy who is underperforming or a guy on a one-year deal like the Zach Ertz trade. And I just don't think Jacksonville falls on that category. I think, like you said, it's got to be a, a Denzel Mims kind of guy where it's it's a lower-risk move, maybe has potential for a year or two, um, hasn't reached his potential at his, at his current uh, place of employment. It's kind of like what they did with C.J. Henderson. I think you um, you can buy low on a guy like that, um, and, and maybe a Mims is, is a situation. But I just don't see them being that big, aggressive team at the deadline. Yeah, probably not. But after a bye week of self-scouting, maybe Trent Bulky and Urban Meyer see a hole or two on the roster where they feel they need to fill and if there's an opportunity to fill it maybe they get a little aggressive well let's move on to the, to the game uh, the Jaguars will take on the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday big matchup this is an opportunity for a winning streak a struggling Seattle team uh, this was one that no one really saw coming because everyone expects Russell Wilson so there's, the Seahawks have a great winning percentage at home in Seattle but now with Geno Smith at the helm, winning percentage not as great because uh, the Saints beat them on Monday Night Football. Uh, Geno Smith, one big play to DK Metcalf, and then basically nothing the rest of the game. Uh, so this is a good situation for the Jaguars' defense. The only problem they have is they have to find a way to slow down DK Metcalf. You got to, and you look at that play on Monday night and what he did the rest of the game, which is nothing. So we all know Geno Smith, what he's capable of. He's uh, he's shown what he's capable of at his very best in the NFL, and that's not much, and you have to eliminate that. But, again, Jacksonville's defense has notoriously underperformed against these guys, like a Tyrod Taylor who just absolutely picked them apart. You can't go in that game thinking, okay, we know, know what Geno Smith is. Us media guys can talk about how bad Geno Smith is, but I don't think the Jaguars' defense are – any kind of position to say, okay, this is Geno Smith. We don't have to take him seriously. I mean, Tyrod Taylor, the perfect example of that. He carved you up to pieces. Uh, he's not Joe Burrow, but again, Jacksonville's defense, whoever they're playing in that secondary, whether it's Tyson Campbell's back or whatever it is, you're just not good enough to overlook a, a, even a guy as, as a Un, up and down as Geno Smith. Hey, Shaq Griffin did have a a, a point. He said Geno. He called Geno elite. I think that was a a bit of a hyperbole because he played with the guy for a few years. But uh, he did have a good point that a lot of players don't stick in the NFL as long as Geno Smith has. And Geno's been able to stick around. He's 
bounce from team to team a little bit, but the guy can play a little bit. He's not Russell Wilson, but not many people are Russell Wilson, so obviously that is a, a downgrade for that offense. Um, the big thing for uh, the Jaguars defense, what's the best practices for slowing down DK Metcalf? Nobody really has an answer. I mean, the Saints did a pretty good job. Uh, they put Marshawn Lattimore on him one-on-one, and they put a safety kind of over the top at times, but Lattimore was the guy. Uh, and the, the Jaguars just don't have a guy yeah. in that conversation of a Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, you have Shaq Griffin, or mm-hmm. who is really who's played well this yeah. season for them, but opposite of him, it's it. uh, it's Tyson Campbell yeah. who we're we're kind of sketchy on. And I know a lot of people. And originally, I was on the let Shaq shadow him kind of kind of train because you say, well, Shaq might know DK. I've kind of weaned off of that a little bit now. Now I'm on the, you know what? Let's put Tyson on him all game. Hey, throw him and, to the fire. Well, I, you throw him you to the fire, but it. we're going to put a safety over the top. And if you've got Rayshon Jenkins over the top of you, and everybody knows Tyson's always there close enough to make the tackle. Yes. Rayshon can now only focus on playing the ball. Because if Tyson's there close enough, he better just bring him down. Rayshon, go yep. for the ball, try and get the breakup. And that's how you save that because the other side's going to have to be one-on-one. And do we really want Tyson Campbell one-on-one with Tyler Lockett? Probably not. I, I don't think so. I, don't, <laughs> I just don't. Not coming off an injury. He's not shown that he can turn around and play the ball. We beat that uh, horse quite a bit this year. He just is not there yet. But to me, you've got to see what you've got with Tyson Campbell. Yes. And this is a game to do that. You're going to see an elite receiver. DK Metcalf is um, there's not a lot of guys you can compare him to at that position. So he's Beast. a freak. He's fast. He's long. He's physical. And that's going to be that's that's a separator for Tyson Campbell. If you can defend this guy, limit those big plays, you've got to give him some help. I don't, Tyson's not at a yeah. point where he can he can play a DK Metcalf one on one at at all. So you've got to give him some help. I like the idea of, of maybe bracketing with uh, Rayshon Jenkins. But you got to do something. You yeah. got to do something, and yeah. and that's why I think I think that makes a lot of sense because you're going to give whoever has DK some help, and that other corner more than likely is going to spend a lot of time on an island without that safety help over the top. And Tyson again, nearby, but doesn't make the play on the ball. If I have to pick a guy who's going to be on an island with Tyler Lockett. I'm going to leave Shaquille Griffin there, yeah. and I'll give Tyson the, the tough assignment, but he's going to have safety help and coverage help shaded to his side to assist him. Uh, the Seahawks running game, not much to speak of because Chris Carson, their running back, also out. This is the injuries that we're talking about. Their offensive line, not great. The The Jaguars coaching staff and front office loves to harp on, you know, we have a high pressure percentage. Pressure percentage, pressure percentage. It's like horseshoes. They love to say how close they get, but – this is a week where they might actually be able to rack up some sacks. Geno Smith, a quarterback that's held the ball too long multiple times throughout his career, and their offensive line not exactly doing great. That's one of the problems that Russell Wilson's had with the Seahawks organization is that they haven't been able to build that offensive line in front of him. So this is a week where we really need to see something from Josh Allen, something from Caleb on Chase on, something from Roy Robertson, Harris, and any of those guys have to be able to get to the quarterback. You've got to, and, and close is great, but you're not close enough to allow your – how many picks does this team have? One, two? It's not that many. It's, it's no. not your, – your cornerbacks are not good enough yet to make plays. Yeah, you're getting that pressure. You're getting uh, the stats that the Jaguars defensive line likes to rave about, those quarterback pressures, but they're not translating into much. Quarterbacks are still able to pick them apart. We saw that with Tyrod Taylor, an average quarterback in week one, just pick them apart. If you're not sacking the quarterback, then don't expect that secondary to make a play. You've got to have 
some talent in that secondary. And, you know, how many, again, how many picks do Jaguars secondary members have? It's not uh, been that two. many at all. Andrew Wingard has one, and Nevin Lawson has so one. So you've got two picks from a safety and a cornerback who are not your, not your main guys. Kill Griffin's been closed. Tyson Campbell has not, not been there. So you've got to start bringing down, you know, I know – I, I know the sack stat is a little bit skewed at times. It can be overblown. Um, but you've got to, if you're Jacksonville, you don't have that secondary strong enough yet. You've got to start bringing those guys down to the backfield. you got to. And this is a game for Josh Allen to do it. We've got, it's still a jury's out to me on Josh Allen right now on what type of player he is in this defense. He's got a, not, what, two and a half, three sacks already. Um, it's just not, not been a great start for this defense. This is a game to do it with everything going against Seattle. I mean, Josh Allen is, to me, a, a, a Robin to a somebody else's Batman. I mean, we saw at that this with point, Calais. Yeah, that's what we saw as a rookie. There was Calais, there was Jan, there were pass rushers there that teams accounted for, and then here comes Josh. Boom. And then since they've been gone, injury hit him last year. You give him a pass for that. But this year, he's healthy. I like Josh as a person, but he is not showing that he is this A-plus guy that – he needs to be, and maybe they're asking him to be a little too much, uh, but he has to win those one-on-one matchups, and he's not winning his one-on-ones consistently enough to be that top guy. He need This defense needs him to be a 10-sack-a-year guy. They need him to be Batman. They need and him to be and Batman, and right now not. he's Robin, and they don't have Batman on this roster. So at some point this offseason, they have to address that situation. But, uh, you know, Josh Allen is a, a solid player. He's just not what this defense needs him to be. That's not saying that he's not an NFL guy. It's just he, you know, you, you've got to ask guys you've to gotta have play a com- within you've themselves. You've got to have a compliment to him. And yes. we saw him at his best, as you mentioned, when he had significant help around him. Marcel Darius, you had Calais Campbell, Jan. Mm-hmm. You know, you had some guys in there to take that pressure off there. They have and no guys now. There's nobody. There's nobody there to – you know, the defensive line is is nickel and dime guys in the NFL, lunch pail type players. You don't have that pressure. You don't have that heavy rush in like Calais was. And, you know, I think it uh, – I don't think you're going to see Josh reach that potential we saw as a rookie until you add some help on the defensive line. And, again, that's not something that's coming this year. That's something that's something that's draft-free agency kind of help. I mean, it's, it definitely is. And, that, and, I mean, that circles back a little bit to why I wanted to bring up the, the trade deadline a little bit because – you know, a guy like Trey Flowers isn't necessarily flashy. He's a seven-sack-a-year guy. But, uh, you know, it, the Jaguars don't have anybody else on their roster that's given, getting you seven sacks a year. So is he on a big contract? Yeah. But is a guy under 30 who can get you eight or nine sacks on the free agent market going to get a cheaper contract than him? No. You're going to pay that dude, whether it's one-year production. Look at Trey Hendrickson. Had one year of production for the New Orleans Saints, and the Cincinnati Bengals backed the Brinks truck up to his house to get him there. So you're going to have to pay for those guys. They don't come cheap, and the Jaguars spent cheap, but the problem is those guys just don't hit the market. So they need to get that guy opposite of Josh Allen. Because if you look at the Jaguars roster, and we've been beating this drum since before the season, there is nobody that accounts for sacks besides Josh Allen. There's nobody on this on this team in their career besides Josh Allen that has seen double-digit sacks. Not a single guy on the roster. Yeah, and that's un- How? That's unbelievable. Like, I can't believe – I still can't believe they didn't go after Melvin Ingram. I don't care how old the dude is. At the very least, he's seen the quarterback before. Like, Caleb on Chase on, nice guy. But 
He hasn't seen the quarterback much in the NFL. Jahat Ward, good dude, hasn't seen the quarterback yeah. much in the NFL. Roy Robertson-Harris, huge guy, but has not seen the quarterback. You got to have somebody that knows how to get after the passer. I don't care if you expected Josh Allen to be your Batman. None of these guys really look like Robbins. No. I mean, you've got to have some sort of pass rush plan, and it, they did not. So now this is a week. Maybe this cures it, and you can knock some of the rust off, and maybe this gets Dewan Smoot going if the baby's not keeping him up too much at night. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, they, they've got to get some, some sort of sacks on this defense. Or if not, they're going to be in the conversation of the Seahawks defense because right now the bottom three defenses in the league for most yards given up in 32nd is the Miami Dolphins, who the Jaguars beat, and 31st, the Seattle Seahawks. But in 30th, here come the Jacksonville Jaguars defense for just giving up a ton of yards. And right now the Dolphins and the Seahawks are on pace to break the season record for most yards given up by a team, a which record. is it's not a record, not you, a record want. you want. So it's a very good thing that this, the Jaguars play them this week because Trevor needs to go out and put up a bunch of yards on them to keep the Jaguars away from that record. So I guess that's our transition to talking about the Jaguars' offense versus the Seahawks' defense. Um, obviously, with a week off, the Jaguars have had some time to prepare. Trevor Lawrence said he watched the Monday night football game at home. He has not watched the Manning cast yet, like a lot of people have. So That's he watched the. Yeah, no, it's disappointing. disappointing. Come on. He said he's only seen the highlights of it. That's uh, yeah, that's funny. That's what a good thing ESPN's done. But you know, you can forgive Trevor if uh, if it if it translates to wins, and he's in his playbook or reading on the iPad. I'm sure know, the Peyton Manning down. will get him on there eventually. I'm I'm sure we'll we'll have to watch the Manning cast one day, and and he'll be interviewing Trevor. That would be cool. Uh, How that, cool that would have cool. a national brand store like that. We've not had that before. <laughs> Jacksonville has not had that. So let's look at the Seahawks defense. Uh, their big guy. I mean, well, they have two two guys that you have to watch: Bobby Wagner who's their Mike linebacker, and their safety, Jamal Adams. Now, Adams is a box kind of player, very similar to how the Jaguars have used Rayshon Jenkins. He'll move all over the field. He is an interesting safety. There's not many safeties like him in the NFL. I can't tell you another safety that has racked up as many sacks as him as he did last season. So he's a guy that Trevor is going to have to point out every play because he is going to be the key to their blitz package. Yeah, he's, he's almost like a, a linebacker hybrid yeah. you know, in how he plays because – He's not he, he's not a ball hawk. He doesn't pick off ten passes a year. I think he's got two career interceptions. Nothing with the Seahawks. It's been kind of a disappointment this year in that defense. But he's uh, he's that linebacker kind of uh, strong safety hybrid in the NFL, and uh, he's probably been more active as a linebacker. But he is even though the stats aren't there for Jamal Adams, he is a guy that is going to be uh, needed to be lo- uh, kind of localized by Trevor. He's going to have to have that spy on him all the time and uh, account for where Jamal Adams is. Yeah, Trevor's going to have to know where he is because we haven't seen him do it. Like We've talked about Trevor's maturation process over the course of the season. Those first few weeks, he threw a few hospital balls out there for guys. Uh, He's done a better job of that over the past couple of games, but if he does not know where Jamal Adams is, I can almost guarantee you Marvin Jones and LaVishka are going to have to go back to the huddle and be like, look, dude, that was not cool because Jamal Adams will lay guys out. I mean, he he has not had his impact this year as much as he has had when he was in New York, uh, but he's still a, a big hitter, and he is a guy that um, Trevor needs to make sure that he's taking care of his receivers around because the Jaguars can't afford to lose any receivers. I mean, if Marvin Jones or LaVisca Chenault goes down, like, who replaces him? Who's good? We've had this conversation <laughs> time and again. I mean, you put Jamal Agnew up there. I mean, they are starved for talent at receiver. 
when you feel like a broken record, you brought all these guys in during the offseason, during training camp. Receiver was a position that they focused on, I think, trying to find that that speedster that Urban Myers preached about. This is the first time in his coaching career where he's not had a burner on the outside, and that's a big thing. You've got to adjust. That's when, when you're used to running an offense with a 4-3 guy on the outside who can take that speed and stretch the field and just run, go run to the end zone. You, you don't have that. I mean, Tyron Johnson's not developed into that, and it's changed thing. Urban has said this is the first time where he's had to really kind of scheme around the deficiency at receiver. You know, Marvin Jones is good. LaVisca's good. Jamal Agnew's good. But they're, they're good in a way that is not what Urban Meyer's looking for. He wants that burner, that speed guy. And you already don't have that guy on your team, but when you take out, you know, LaVisca, we've already taken DJ out of this offense, and that's hurt. But you cannot afford any kind of injury at all to an already lean and uh, talent-starved position. You've got good guys, no depth, and no speed. On that, uh, on that receiving court. Jamal Agnew's the only burner in the group, and he was brought in to be a kickoff returner. Today, Daryl Bevel said that Agnew's one of their top three guys, and he's going to play like it. So, I mean, at the very least, they've, they're now embracing the fact that Agnew is one of their top three receivers, and they're going to have to give him a full plate of routes and receiver responsibilities moving forward. I think you have to be to generate some kind of spark on this offense. You know, Jamal Agnew's that burner that they like, but he's a guy who's not played the position much. You sacrifice in the kicking game and special teams by putting Jamal more on Jamal's plate um, in the receiving game. But I think you almost have to at this point because that receiver position, God forbid if there's another injury to a starter um, where you're really having to scramble again. I mean, I think Jamal Agnew has got to become that almost Travis Etienne kind of back or receiver gadget player because this Jaguars offense has nothing else other than Marvin Jones, Visca, James Robinson, and uh, and Jamal Agnew. Yeah, that, that's all they got. And this kind of feels like a week where uh, we'll put some of that to rest to me. Uh, uh, this feels like the game where Trevor Lawrence is going to be well. The Trevor Lawrence that many expected. Um, he has not had that touchdown production in the passing game that we've been looking for. And I feel like this is the game where he's going to go out there and throw those four touchdown passes and absolutely shred the Seahawks defense because it is extremely porous. They run a very solid, a, a, a similar concept year in and year out. It's nothing new. Uh, they're just good at it. They, they run it so often that they're good at it. So uh, Trevor does have a coaching staff of guys that should know the Seahawks scheme inside and out. Schottenheimer just left Seattle. So, I mean, he should know their defense. Daryl Bevel, coached in Seattle, he should know their defense. I mean, Shaquille Griffin just left Seattle. He should know their defense. If Trevor Lawrence is not prepared for what Seattle is going to do on defense, there is, yeah, somebody needs to just go home because, I mean, there are so many guys in this organization, in the Jaguars organization, that have Seattle roots and should know this defense because Seattle is not one of those teams that is going to surprise you with what they do. That's why you hear so often people refer to different coaches as running the Seattle scheme. It's because Seattle basically runs a cover three almost every play. They might change up where guys are lined up, alter it a little bit, throw a little wrinkle in there, but it's cover three. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> you know, when Urban Meyer took the job, that was, you almost saw him taking a page out of the Ravens playbook and the Seahawks playbook. He he looks up to Pete Carroll, doesn't know him really well, um, but there's a reason. There's a reason that you go after coaches on successful teams like that, and 
uh, one of the reasons is uh, when you play that team, you're going to be prepared. And he rated Seattle when he's making some of these hires. You know, Brian Schneider he hired. He's not with the team anymore. But, you know, you, you pluck guys from successful organizations, and you're going to glean a lot from those assistants and, and players who played there before. So this is a game Jacksonville has to be prepared for. You get a, a wounded Seattle team. You get a Jacksonville team coming off its most momentum in, in however long. you got a ascending quarterback who's really due for his breakout games, playing with far more confidence week after week. So I agree with you. This has got to be a Trevor Lawrence breakout game. It seems like Jacksonville has enough on Seattle in terms of coaches, in terms of Shaq Griffin, in terms of the personnel, that this has got to be a game that Jacksonville comes out with and makes a statement. You know, I asked Carlos Hyde, who spent last year in Seattle, if he saw any similarities between Pete Carroll and Urban Meyer. And he basically said, I don't see anything similar between the two. But, I mean, he said it's basically because Pete Carroll's been around the NFL, had so much success by the time he got there in Seattle, and Urban is still learning the ins and outs of the game. And that's very – I think that was very insightful of him saying that because, I mean, we've seen that Urban is still – learning the ins and outs of the NFL. But for a guy like Carlos Hyde, who was with Urban Meyer in college and is now with him here in the NFL and was with Pete Carroll, I, you know, to, for them to say, like, you know, hey, Coach Meyer's still learning it, come back and ask me that same question a couple of years, uh, and we'll see how he's grown, um, That that's insightful to say, okay, we all know that Urban is learning his way through this thing. He may look up to Pete Carroll, but he's not there yet. Yeah, and I think that's uh – I really think that's, um, you know, probably par for the course. I mean, Urban, you could look at him in a presser and and say this guy is still learning. And Pete Carroll, I mean, you know, successful college coach, but he's had – he's played in two Super Bowls and won one. So um, he's he's hardened, he's conditioned to the NFL right now. And, yeah, I think it's probably a little unfair, you know, to – you know, people see Urban and they look at Pete Carroll and they make the, the parallels between them. But, I mean, Pete Carroll's got a about an 11-year head start on Urban in the NFL. Oh, definitely. And, you know, Pete Carroll came into a different situation. He had a rookie, Russell Wilson, which is similar. But that Seahawks team was not nearly the rebuild that this Jacksonville team is. Um, and I know Pete Carroll will get a lot of credit for Russell Wilson, but, I mean, he kind of lucked into that. If he knew how good Russell was, they'd have – They'd have taken Russell before they took Russell. Originally, Matt Flynn was supposed to be his guy, and nobody ever thinks about Matt Flynn because uh, that obviously did not work yeah, out. Matt Flynn was the guy <laughs> in demand for many, many years. Ooh, wow, he was man. that quarterback who every team wanted, and uh, he made his way back to Seattle and wrapped his career up there. That's right. All right, uh, we've gotten to the point where it's time to uh, pick a win or a loss. Uh this is a West Coast trip. Uh, Justin, do you think the uh, Jaguars get win number two on the year? Okay, I'm, I'm staying. I, I, I do think they win. I think it's going to be a close game. I think they break the 30-point threshold finally. Uh, 33-28 Jags. Ooh. I think the arrow is, is ascending for, uh, for this team. You build off last week. I know it's a, a terribly risky pick. 0-3 in Seattle, 3-13 all-time on the West Coast. Um, but I think coming off the London game, I think with the production they had there, with the changes and – um, you know, success they had there in the kicking game and Trevor playing better. I think it's 33-28 Jacksonville. Win number two, uh, back-to-back wins for the first time since 2019. Arrow pointing up. I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm picking the Jaguars to win this one. I mean, that 3-13 and record on the West Coast does worry me, but the team leaving on Friday, so they'll be there on Saturday. And in my conversation with Carlos Hyde, 
he mentioned that they the, these guys actually like the long flights together because they sit there and play cards and bond. He mentioned that uh, he, he tries to play cards with Trevor Lawrence because uh, everybody wants to bond with the quarterback to get him to throw him the ball. But, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think the Jaguars win this game. It is a perfect scenario for them. The Seahawks are struggling. Geno Smith, not that great. Seahawks defense, not that good. I think it's a big game for Trevor Lawrence. I believe they'll win. Uh, let's go 35-20. Let's wow, go 35-20. Uh, Jaguars win by a decent margin. Um, I think the defense will have a pretty good day against Geno. Let's, I'll even go out on a limb and say they'll get two picks. How about wow. that? Two turnovers, no turnovers for the Jaguars offense, three touchdowns for Trevor Lawrence, Jaguars win. Impressive. All right. Yeah, well, I'm, you're throwing it all out I'm, there. I'm throwing it all out there on this one. I mean, this is a winning streak game. Uh, like I said, I, maybe I'm just still having that winning feeling from the, the, the Miami Dolphins game. The but. last time I felt like this was week one, going into the Texans game, and then Tyrod Taylor carved them up, and uh, it was just bad after that. But well, I do think this is – I do think they route the Texans the next time they play them. But I do think um, that Miami game in London, the growth of Trevor continues. He just looks like a different quarterback. And – um, Seattle's defense, as bad as as it has been, is ripe for a Trevor Lawrence uh, career game. Well, the arrow's pointing up for the Jaguars, and the arrow's pointing up for this podcast. Let's wrap this one up. Thanks, as always, for listening to the News for Jags podcast. We'll check in with you.